Welcome to the Cast of Podcast. Over the last two seasons, we've been exclusively talking to our customers about how they use audio and video to fuel their content marketing and grow their business. And for this season, we're doubling down on the voice of the customer and focusing solely on our partners using the Casted platform to deliver content to all their audiences. Content marketing is still one of the hardest jobs out there, and we love sharing our customers' unique experiences, which in turn helps our audience find ways to succeed by digging deeper into the challenges they face and the solutions they're discovering. My guest today is a data expert who turned to content to tell the amazing stories behind the numbers. As the director of media content at Zoom Info, Sam Balter is a podcast veteran and constantly looking at how content performs and making the necessary strategic tweaks to up the quality of the message the brand wants to get out and the topics audiences want to hear about. Today, he's going to share his views on the shift from audio to video podcasting, how YouTube has become a strategic channel for Sam, and how his social first approach is strengthening Zoom Info's authority across multiple platforms. I'm Katie Narens, Senior Customer Success Manager at Casted, the first and only amplified marketing platform for B2B marketers. And I'll be your guide on this episode of the Casted Podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing good. So, thank you for jumping on this with me. Yeah, thanks and so much for having me. Absolutely. And I'm going to kick this off with just a little bit of an icebreaker. Um, and I'm sure this is something everybody really wants to know, and it's very, very important information. If you were in the zombie apocalypse, what role would you play? This is something I sadly think about a lot. I would probably just be in the uh, first wave of dead people. I'm not really that fast a runner. Uh, and I'm very easily scared by like anything that jumps out at me. So that would probably be, I would probably be done with pretty quick. If yeah. I made it through, I think I'd be kind of one of those small people living off in the woods and just gathering like uh, berries and things like that for a little while. I don't think I would be a major big role player. I don't think I, I can't, I don't know how to use any weapons. I'm not really <laughs> particularly great nature person, but I think I could kind of get by on my own uh, for a little bit. You would what just about be you? The, Who would you be? I think I would be the, um, I would definitely be the person that had a very tragic and stupid death. Like I would make it through, but I would like trip and fall and like, get, you know, swarmed by like a crowd of zombies or, you know, just something really, really silly like that. Like it wouldn't be epic. It wouldn't be heroic. It would just be kind of like, did she really just do that after all of this? Like, that's my luck. Yeah. It'd be like, you're kind of like crossing maybe a bridge and then the bridge collapses and you're like, well, bye, yep. Katie. Aw, <laughs> darn. Another one bites the dust. you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your role at Zoom Info? Yeah, sure. So I'm the director of media content at Zoom Info. So basically the way I think about that is all of the content that happens off site. So our goals are around things on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of the kind of major social networks. 
um, and then building up some of the content there. So usually there's about two sides of it. That's one side is kind of amplifying existing company news and amplifying existing content. And then the other side of it is building and developing social first content. So like podcast, video series, things like that. Awesome. And podcasting, you're no stranger to podcasting. You hosted Weird Work, which highlights folks who are able to turn their passion into their job. And frankly, all of the topics listed in that series are just fascinating to me. Um, And it won a Shorty Award, right? Yes. Yeah, it did win a Shorty Award for Best Branded Podcast. So really, really proud of that. That's awesome. That's wonderful. So how did you get into podcasting to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was really, really lucky. Um, I was working at HubSpot and I was managing uh, sales enablement for North America at the time. Um, they had a show that they were trying to work out and find a host for weird work. They wanted to try a kind of mass, a mass appeal podcast. Um, I was really lucky in that there was a kind of company event a couple of weeks before their deadline of finding a host uh, where I met Matt Brown, who's the producer, and we talked for a little while. Um, and I think I was just generally kind of loud and obnoxious. Um, and it was just sort no. of like a good, loud, obnoxious, chatty evening. And it was really, really fun. And then he messaged me the next day and was like, you should apply for this thing. I think you might be a good fit. So I was like, okay, great. And no idea about podcasting, no experience in interviewing, um, nothing. But, you know, I took the opportunity. He gave me the shot. And then I started hosting kind of the first couple episodes of the show. And it went off with like a really, really good success. And so I moved over time from uh, sales enablement into managing like podcast marketing for uh, HubSpot. So that was working on uh, the kind of marketing and promotion for other shows that they had at the time, like The Grow Show or Skill Up um, or Culture Happens, uh, as well as Weird Work. Um, So, yeah, it was a really it was a fortuitous opportunity. And then once I was working on the show, it was really it it was definitely a definitely very interesting challenge because like, I feel like a lot of people within B2B are used to kind of interviewing other people within B2B. So this was like a lot larger of a difference to interview people. Like I'm the top ASMR person, or um, I write dinosaur erotica or like, that's my uh, favorite. I think I'm (laughs) like, I'm the head night at medieval times. Like there was a lot of those that, um, I think I got a lot of really good experience and a lot of good practice interviewing. And it was really good to get it in in a very different context, uh, which I think has been really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you also did some audio podcasting with uh, Talk Data to me at uh, Zoom Info. And this year you're shifting a little more over towards the video aspect of podcasting. So um, I would love to hear more about, you know, why the shift? Why video podcasting? Yeah. So I think for me, um, at first, like, I'll be honest, I found video to be a distraction towards podcasting in terms of production, like considering video was just sort of too, it would often be tough because the way you edit podcasts together, you're often like moving something from the beginning, you know, or to the end Mm -hmm. and to the end of the beginning and you're cutting and rearranging around and you might be cutting things where you're removing the uhs and the ums of what people are saying. So like it, 
it always felt too hard for me to translate like an edited podcast into a, a video unless mm-hmm. you were doing something with like multiple cameras so that you could like cut away more effectively. But what I've noticed, what I noticed is like a lot of the value of podcasts and a lot of the value is the snippets to people like on social media, the snippets often perform well. And if you think about the things that sound really good in terms of audio, it's when somebody has one clear, coherent, unedited thought. And so it's like that one clear, coherent, edited thought is also likely going to be one clear video moment. And then from there, you can use that. And so the other thing is I was noticing is like, we would do a lot with audiograms and audiograms are like good and they help, but they weren't performing as well as just like a slightly edited version of a video where you can see the person's face. So for me, it was like one, the, the first part of it was kind of getting over the idea that we should be collecting this footage anyways. And if we could find opportunities to use it in promotion, we should do that. And then the second part of it was just basically like, okay, what do we actually know about social faces perform really well? Um, things that like the production quality does not have to be in the same spot as in other channels. Like the production quality can be lower. You can have somebody chopped to one side or the other. And like people are not that thrown off by it on social because it's so common. So I think like we started doing it where we take these moments from most recently, this show, pretty big deal where we take these moments of like, uh, sales reps telling stories or use it to promote things. And those were actually performing quite well. And so it's like, great. Now we have this thing. We should be collecting this. We should be figuring it out and we can use it more effectively for promotion. So that was the idea was like, there was a solid amount of evidence, both on the side of like performance for social and kind of like me just getting over a, why not do this? Yeah. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. And so much of what you're saying is resonating to like my own thoughts and feelings about the things I see on social. So it's definitely interesting. Um, And you've mentioned that YouTube is an important part of that strategy, having a presence on YouTube. Can you tell me a little bit about why? Why is that so important to this video component? Yeah, YouTube's really interesting. Um, And I'm, I'm pretty new to like, investing a ton of time into YouTube. But the the thing is, like anything else, like your channel is an asset and it can grow as it, its audience can grow and its value can grow over time. And one of the things of just like stepping back and looking at our own YouTube channel, we were able to see some really interesting insights where we were getting like 25% of our traffic was coming from within the search of YouTube. Uh, And then a lot, another 25 or so, you know, these are very rough numbers was coming from like externally. So people searching something and then they would end up, you know, on our page because they see the video, they click through from like Google and go. Okay. So now you have like a sizable amount of traffic that is going straight from, I have a question to YouTube or you're in YouTube and you have a question, you ask it directly within YouTube. So it's like, okay, this is a great audience that is underinvested in. So we should be doing things to go after that. Then the question is like, what does YouTube value? And I think YouTube, as far as I can tell, values consistent posting. It likes when you're consistently posting things, which is good. The other thing that YouTube likes is watch time. Um, So it wants to know that you're both, you're spending time watching the videos. 
this is really good because working at a company, you get a lot of requests for videos of all types and all lengths and all sizes. And traditionally, you could look at what performs well on social and it's like 90 seconds, you know, like basically you have two minutes, two minutes and 30 seconds or so where something is going to perform well before you have a huge drop off. But there's a real value for a lot of people, especially in software, about wanting to learn a product. And that might not be accomplished in a two minute video. So it's like, great, we have these gaps where we have like 11 minute content. You know, we, we have the seven to 11 minutes worth of content. Great. We can use that to sort of start talking about things about the product, use it for slightly longer form and increase the watch time of the channel. So YouTube for us is one, there's a big audience opportunity. There's something where if we are continually investing and building it, the authority of YouTube, our YouTube channel builds up. And then that means we're exposed to more people within the YouTube system. So like related videos, we appear up higher on search. Uh, And then finally, it's like that last part where we're really servicing a need of the company where a lot of it is like, how do you house? How do you store? Where do you put this type of content? And it's like YouTube's a good spot where we can be putting that content, making it available to people learning about our product or having it show up normally. So for us, it's like YouTube is just a big opportunity for audience. It's a big opportunity in terms of like content. And it's a way, it's something that if you're building it into your content motion, you're building up the value of that channel in the same way that if you think about blogging and you're building up the value of your blog, like you want to be building up the authority of your YouTube channel as well. So that's what we're trying to accomplish is that like regular posting and like content that is giving a good amount of um, time on the site. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that all makes sense. And you had had, uh, mentioned earlier your blog. How does YouTube and your blog and social media strategy all kind of fit together into this perfect union, if you will? There's, uh, there's never a perfect union in content. Like, yeah. it's like I mean, like in an, in an ideal world, it all works perfectly and everything is great. And, you know, it's like you build with something once you distribute it across all channels and it works like perfectly well. Um, it, it's rarely, I feel like works like that in practice, but we're trying to step-by-step move towards it. Um, I think what you're, we're seeing is, for, for us right now, like one of the things we brought in uh, in terms of hiring and talent is a lot more like journalists and people coming from like the Boston Globe and, and other areas to, to Zoom Info. And I think one of the things we're just trying to practice more and more is like, OK, how do we take the long form interview, get the long form interview down to seven to 11 minutes on here? Great. How do we post that? How do we then embed that into a blog post? Then how do we get that out on social? Um, so that's like overall our, our goal process is to take from one large interview or one large conversation and narrow it down into different sets of things. Um, so that's hopefully how it all works together. Yeah. Fingers <laughs> crossed, right? Yeah. Fingers crossed. I definitely think we're able to get it. I mean, sometimes like news has to go out quickly. Things have to be uploaded. There's product launches to consider. So mm-hmm. it doesn't always work out perfectly. But I think with social, you just and with videos, it's like you always try the best you can to line everything up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we mentioned social a little bit. And I 
particularly am excited to spend a lot of area talking about this because you've had so many interesting things to say up to this point. I cannot wait to share it with everyone listening. Um, you have mentioned that this year is also a social first approach um, and that you're focusing on strengthening your presence on things like YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about like how that kind of came to fruition and how you decided that that was the approach you wanted to take? Yeah. So um, I think like one of the things that was really interesting is at the end of last year, we kind of did a, a good pullback and look at the data. And when I joined, I had a pretty, I had like a relatively simple thesis for the team and for social, which was that it was spending, it wasn't spending enough time per post, right? Like we weren't spending enough time on like the captions, the posting, the monitoring, the follow-up and like all of that. So one of, if we looked at the course of the year, we ended up reducing the amount we post by about 50%. So 50% less post. Uh, and we ended up getting about three times as much engagement. So half the post, three times as much engagement. The other thing is we also saw a really large rise in terms of our social referral traffic. So traffic from social channels to zoominfo.com. Those are like the three metrics we always look at, like followers, engagements, and then social referral traffic. Um, so when we looked at that, it was like, the other thing that was noticeable was a lot of what we were posting weren't links to things. So if you think about the number of links that went to zoominfo.com, that is even less than 50% because we started doing some text only posts. We started doing some meme posts, other things along those lines. And so the main kind of takeaway for me was that, a lot of time, what we really want to do is just drive engagement. And if engagement is good and people are engaging and the referral traffic is good, meaning that you're building the right audience that is then going to your site and audience growth is good, like all of those things should line up really, really well. Then what came in that with social first content was this idea of like, okay, if we're driving for engagement, what we should start the process of content. A lot of the times in other organizations, content is divided up where it's like, we're going to write an ebook, that ebook will split into like 10 blog posts. Those 10 blog posts will produce like 30 social media posts. And that's a really good strategy, but I've never seen it work particularly well where every stage does good in its metrics. So it's like the ebook might do really well in terms of like lead gen and all of that. The blog post will do okay. And then the social post will do not as great. And I think that that's the way a lot of companies organize their content. So part of what the thinking was, was like, if we we're to think about getting a message across, how would we start that process from the social, from like the media team? How would we, what blog would we produce? How would we show that blog and how would we show podcast interviews? How would we put those into the blog versus the other way around? And so a lot of what it was, was a, like taking what we had learned in messaging, like what we could do to improve our messaging, how to engage other people, all that stuff. And then saying like, we're going to start from our team producing our own kind of social media and social first content. So that's like video series that are meant to be consumed on LinkedIn. We're not trying to send somebody else. We're just trying to get the views right there. And like by building up a steady amount of engagement, 
where people are continuously seeing our stuff, they're continuously engaging. When we do give something that's like, oh, go to this thing, register for this webinar, go check out our new product, people are much more likely to actually click on that stuff. And so I think overall, it was this goal of creating the content in order to get engagement up. But because it's like we were looking at engagement as that core metric that drove other good things like followers and referral traffic. I know that's a yeah. very kind of like log-winded explanation on it, but that's that's sort of how we that where we started in terms of social first. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I like how you were just kind of like, you know what? Let's do it in reverse. Let's give that a try. Yeah, and- because it's it's crazy. Like it's there's basically like the way I think content is, is there's like there's basically like three groups. There's the group that is like working on lead gen, demand gen, they're writing ebooks the conversions, there's SEO, which is like hugely important to everything within the blog. That's a great opportunity. You have everything in search volume, you have everything in paid opportunities, but like social doesn't always have a team. Social is often for a lot of content teams, they just take stuff from other teams and then get it out there. And they don't have the opportunity to be like, oh, based on what's happening on social, we really think this type of content would perform better. Most social teams are at the other end of the spectrum. Whereas like, it seems to be a lot more productive if you're like, what do you think you should write for SEO? Write that. What do you think you need to write for demand gen? Write that. And then like, what do you need to think you write for social? Write that. And instead of trying to make one thing that serves everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one of the things that you had said was um, kind of like matching the voice and like the tone of these different social media channels. Is that something that you're able to dig into a little bit with us just to kind of tell everybody about that? Yeah, I mean, it's this is not to give away trade secrets or anything. (laughs) There's no no trade secrets. I mean, I think the thing is like people inherently a lot of the times are fighting against their intuition. Like they have the intuition and the knowledge that the channels are different. The vibe on Twitter is just fundamentally different than LinkedIn. And you can see it like when LinkedIn goes down, like they go on Twitter and everybody's making fun of people on LinkedIn. Like, Oh, what are they going to do? And vice versa. Like tones are different. What is shared is different. How it's shared is different. Um, And then the other thing is like, you're noticing a lot of the time some content on LinkedIn is just Twitter content, but a picture of it, right? Like you don't even try and recreate Twitter content on LinkedIn. You take a picture of Twitter content and put it on LinkedIn and see how that performs. And so it's like, when I think about the channels, it's like our audiences are different for different channels. We skew, we, I think we have slightly more on the marketer side on Twitter versus LinkedIn, where we're more like on the predominantly sales side. Um, the information people want is different on different platforms. I think there's a little bit, there's a lot more um, potential like snarkiness that people like and resonates with on Twitter. Um, sometimes it works on LinkedIn Um, and I think it's just like the things that are trending, like everything in social is really referential to what's going on within your platform and within your area. So like, for example, LinkedIn has the space, the like one line space, one line space, one line space, like that is just a like de facto thing of LinkedIn, a way of writing for LinkedIn. And when people adopt it for Twitter, it just looks weird. 
Mm-hmm. And like, but you wouldn't adopt Twitter thread style by writing a LinkedIn post and then commenting on it 55 times. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, <laughs> they inherently just like look like they are different things. They look like different things and there's different people on them. But a lot of the times brands go, oh yeah, is that the social message? Just repeat it over and over and over and over again on every single channel exactly. And like, sometimes it's worth doing that. Sometimes it doesn't really matter and you should just get the content out there and promote it. But like for the most part, if you're not doing Twitter specific stuff occasionally on Twitter, you're not going to grow on Twitter. If you're not doing LinkedIn specific stuff on LinkedIn, it's probably not going to work. On YouTube, if you're not making like seven to 11 minute videos, because that's the type of thing that people often consume there, it's not going to grow as a channel. So it's like (laughs) at a certain point, people have this thing where they have their perception of how it is and then they just ignore data despite it coming in. And so I think like for me, I'm often like, okay, well, like, let's just see what is actually performing well and then just do that. And yeah. so I think like, it's like, oh, it's a social first strategy. It's like, yeah, but it's really just like, I look at what posts are doing well and then I do more, try to do more of those and less of the ones that are not doing well. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, you're being authentic. You're being human. You're just kind of posting as you would post any other time. So yeah, it makes, it makes sense. It's the easy thing to do, but we make it so much harder on ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's very confusing sometimes. You know, they can make it really, really confusing. Um, and a lot of, there's definitely a lot of stress on what goes on social, but sometimes it's just a little too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We let podcast loose on Twitter, but we usually try to rein them in for any sort of like LinkedIn post. We try to keep it pretty PC on there. So yeah, I like that. You have, it's nice that podcast is able to be free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He needs to express himself. If we keep him caged up, he doesn't, he doesn't like it very much. So, and then we all have to deal with the consequences. So, um, so we talked obviously a little bit previously about the video content that you're putting out there on YouTube. Um, when you were kind of looking over all of your analytics, how was your video content performing or, you know, were you even putting the video content on social? I guess, how have you approached that? Yeah, we've always like, we've always seen video content as strong. And yeah. video content is definitely has always been a good thing for us on social. I think some of the things we've noticed is that it's not always a lot of the times it's good to just keep people on the channel. Don't try and necessarily move them off the channel. That was a big thing that we had to wonder. It's like sometimes it is very worth just if it's a long video and it really doesn't make sense for them to watch the entire thing like on LinkedIn or on Twitter or on whatever, you know, it's like just just try and keep them there unless you really have to send them off. Um, we notice that the videos just tend to perform better um, than other posts. They almost always get engagement, um, which is good. We also notice that like, depending on the level of animation and style adjustments we make to those videos, like they're also going to perform better. Like there are things that are just sort of like social tactics that you see that you can, everybody can kind of improve on. Um, like social things, like f- they fly in more, you know, it's like a, it's <laughs> things fly in. People like come from different angles. Like this is like common small things, but like there are adjustments you can make within video production that are small that are actually going to keep people's attention a lot better. So that's one of the reasons that we wanted to like produce and move more into that video content is just, we saw continuous engagement with it. Um, the other thing we notice is on the, the side of the blog, 
I used to work more managing a lot of the blog content as well. But like one of the things that I've always been concerned about is bounce rate and read time, right? Like you don't want to have a blog where you're getting a lot of views and you're generating a lot of views, but those people are leaving or they're not spending enough time actually like consuming the article. And we noticed that when we were able to take a lot of those views uh, or those videos, we were able to take the videos, embed them into blog posts. Um, and then we were like, as the, that kind of motion continued, we saw a decrease in bounce rate um, and we saw an increase in read time. So it's like, great. OK, these videos are not only helping gain top level awareness when somebody comes into our site from another area like search. They see a video and they're less likely to bounce and they're more likely to stay on and read the entire thing. So for us, it's like it has a lot of other kind of downstream effects that were also useful. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely seen that, too, with Pretty Big Deal specifically. Every episode, it seems like has its own blog post, which kind of expands a little bit on the story and the person telling it. Love that series, by the way. The stories yeah. are fascinating. Oh, yeah. Thank you. We're working on new episodes of that now that should be pretty fun. Um, but yeah, it's that, that part of it has been really like great to see how it affects other content mediums. Um, it's, it's definitely something where people should try and consider how to fit it into the motion. And I think we're even seeing things like we've just started kind of experimenting more with somebody is going to go on somebody else's podcast. We're going to take that raw footage. We're going to write up, we're going to do a video to promote the podcast. Then we're going to follow it up with our own blog post on it. And so it's like we're doing we're really trying to like lean into, you know, like amplified marketing idea of just like, OK, great conversations are happening. How do we convert that content over? And like when we know that video is going to help on the promotion side and then we know that video is going to help on the time on page and bounce rate side, like it's it's really hard to argue that it's not worth the effort. Like it's it becomes like an increasingly difficult thing because. Obviously, you should add it in if it's having all these positive effects. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Um, we've talked a lot about the strategy and the why. I would love to talk a little bit about the execution piece, especially because I know that this is something that you're particularly excited about. Um, you attribute your team structure to being the secret sauce behind your strategy. Can you tell me a little more about how your team works together to deliver all of this wonderful content? Yeah, I mean, my team is so my team is the media team, which sits on the kind of broader content team. Um, when I think about like the media team structure for us, like the last we've been basically divided into two areas, I'd say one is distribution. So how does that information get out there? And so there's somebody for social campaigns, managing social campaigns, getting that information, watching the analytics. There's another person on community. So the community side is building the engine for distribution with employees. So that's the employee influencer community, as well as uh, working with our customer community. And so like that's a distribution engine. And so that area is like things come in and we distribute them as effectively as possible on the right channels with the right copy and all of that. And that's where they're, they're focused. Then on the other side, we've been building up with the production. So like when I talked about the social first content, it's like the production side is an area where it's like, OK, great. Now we can start producing content entirely within our own team uh, that is then like distributed out. And so it's like, what would something that does well on social look like? What would a blog post that does well on social look like? What would multimedia content do well? 
So it's like, okay, now we have both arms. We have the kind of production side focused on social goals and then the um, all of the distribution side of it. And then when we get into like the nitty gritty of the process, I'd say that there's really just basically, I keep things simple into twos and threes. There's basically like then all of a sudden really just kind of two ways things can go. Either something goes into the te- into the media team machine. So it then goes out on social. So it's like, podcast interview, company announcement, uh, new product, uh, product feature update, something like that. So that's company news that comes in, the machine translates it, pumps it out into the right way. So it's like, if it's a podcast, great, we're going to do, we're going to cut together some things, we're going to do some animation. If it's a product thing, we're going to add it to this what's new video each month or there. If it's this type of product, we're going to give it an explainer, it's going to pop up on YouTube, right? So we handle that editing and managing of things coming in. Then the next side of it is like, okay, we want to be able to do things that are social first and it's our own production content. So it's like, we think that the the purpose of this is to like further a brand value or mention something and we're going to run this specific campaign or this specific series. So for us, it's like we've launched a blog, The Pipeline. And one of the things is we talk a lot about pipeline plays, like different things that marketing, sales, recruiting teams can run. And so we have that as a video series. That's a social first video series where we think, great, we're able to think of how this content is working. We think that this will do well on social. We can keep a regular cadence of these videos. They're going to make sense. So that's like us producing it. So I think like when I think about the team, it's like there are always things, there's always space. You need space for all of the requests that come in. And then you need people to be able to like flex their creative muscles and do things that might take like a little bit longer that they're working on on the side. So it's like, okay, those are the video series and things like that. Podcast, pretty big deal, all of those. So it's like when I think about the team, it's like it makes it a lot easier when it's not a lot of like jumping from one group to another group, which I think a lot of content teams run into. Um, And I also think it's one where you, you often like if somebody's going to write a blog post and then do a video, those two people aren't together always. You know, they're not always like linked together where it's more like the video gets created and then the blog post follows it or vice versa. And I think what I'm trying to do and what I hope to do more and more with the team is like every idea is vetted with the idea first. And then it goes, what format should this idea take? you know, like what budget, time, all those expectations. And then it goes into that like kind of production style. But having everybody in the same room is great to have people call out like, oh yeah, that's a cool idea, but I wouldn't click on that on social. It's like, okay, well, if you're not going to click on it, then it's not a great idea. And so like having everybody in the beginning, like in the room at the exact same time versus just like tossing stuff over to the next person um, has worked a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I can I can almost envision our marketing team right now, like Erin from the office in the GIF where she's like fist pumping. I can almost picture them right there. Cause yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that. it's great. It's been it's it's very, it's very nice. And it like it it is a bit chaotic in some ways, I think. And there are, I'm not saying it's like the perfect structure and there's no downsides. Like there's obviously things that, you know, it creates some issues of like who manages exactly what, you know, like what. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there, you're often working with a lot of the other stakeholders from the organization. So that can get confusing. Um, but overall, like I think the structure has been really beneficial in terms of like performance for engagements and all of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, it's like with you guys all being there, like, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's some overlap, there's some gaps, but like, you're able to communicate those things easily. You're able to just kind of like tag the other person in and say, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's see what, let's see what the folks uh, in the audience want to ask you. Cause I've already drilled you with a whole bunch of questions. And the first one we have is from Mark and it says, since you're a data guy, Sam, what's the most interesting content marketer data to you and why? The most interesting thing to me is like engage engagement. It's just engagement. I always like, I think that that as in social has become the thing I'm really a lot interested in because engagement one is representative of levels. Like it has a clear leveling system where it's like, click, I like it is easy. And then like, I'm going to type a comment is slightly harder. And then like, I'm going to share it and write about it is like another thing. So it's like, you do have this good measure with engagement of like, what types of stuff are you producing and what do people feel about it? Um, Which I think is really good. I like that as a metric. I think if if the question is more about like, what are trends? um, Like, what do I find is the most interesting trend right now? I think just the, I like to see (laughs) this random data of like what Harvard's class does, like Harvard's entering class. Um, And I think it was like in Harvard's entering class, like Facebook was used like 25 by less than like 20% of people had Facebook accounts. Um, So it's like you get a good sense of like where are people kind of going within social networks and like which ones are people sort of adopting. So I really always find that data to be really interesting. Um, And one of the ones that stuck out was like, how big do you think like like Snapchat is still a really, really large social network that continues to grow and has like a lot of affinity, but it just doesn't really get talked about that much. Um, So I think like that's one where for me, I think I'm really watching Snapchat more as like, oh, I think this could potentially be something that grows a lot over time. Wow, that's really interesting because I would definitely think that like TikTok would be the big one because you just hear so much about it. And I'm honestly not surprised at Facebook. It's kind of like that that empty shell of what like MySpace used to feel like when you used to get on there, like in the like older days of MySpace and kind of dating myself now. But um. yeah, no, I think it's like, I love TikTok. It's very interesting. I still, we're trying to work out how we want to approach TikTok. I, it's, I think it's one where people are, because of the way the algorithm pushes you into different worlds of TikTok, I think it's like people are pretty haphazard on the way they're jumping into it. They're like, let's just jump into TikTok and create a bunch of videos. And it's like, I'm not, I still don't fully understand if that's going to push you into, if you're not careful about how and what you engage with, are you missing opportunities by being pushed into one particular direction? So I'm I'm really interested to like follow TikTok and it will be something we'll probably be like, working on more this year. But yeah, it's definitely going to be something to to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looks like we have another question from Nicole. It says, we have a small team. How do we take a crawl, walk, run approach to this? What's most important as you begin? That's a great question. Great question. Um, that is a really great question, Nicole. I'd say the uh, the best thing is just practicing interviewing. 
Like that is the area a lot of people are not necessarily great on. I think it's like things that you can do to improve interviews and improve your interviewing for writing um, is the best first step. And I think one of the things is like, because there's a motion with interviewing where you have like the idea you think it's going to be, then the interview, and then what actually happened, right? And I think what's really effective is like getting better at the what actually happened and then updating your content to adjust to that, right? And updating your ideas to adjust to that. Like, how are you going to post on social? What is the theme of this? All of that. So I think the first thing people just need to get better at is like, get more used to talking and using that content, get more used to like paraphrasing quotes for blog posts, get more used to taking like a very small, like one minute of something where somebody said something good and then using that. I think a lot of the times people put these really high bars on themselves for no reason where they want things to be multiple things where they're like, I want this to be like a funny thought leadership piece that like really motivates customers to like go to the website and download our product, but like doesn't, you know, like cheapen the brand. And you're like, that's too many things. Like (laughs) just start with one thing. Like, and in like, I noticed this sometimes, um, if people go to art museums, they often feel like a need to talk about the art in a way that like feels highfalutin. Like, oh man, I really like the like brushstrokes on it. Like you can just say, I like this piece because it's bright and sunny. Like you can just say like, I like this bit of the interview because it was interesting and it was engaging. Like that's fine. You don't have to make it into a whole complicated thing. Find like the intuition of what you thought was interesting And then stick with that and then just get that out there quickly. Don't let too much production, don't let too many stakeholders get involved or else you're going to put the bar for yourself so high that you're not going to be able to achieve the things. Like just start with frequency, go focus on it, get good interview content and then build the process from there. Don't try and like take one interview and just from the jump, even though you've never done anything really that great on LinkedIn, all of a sudden now you have this huge campaign. No, just do like a one-off video and see how it does. If it does good, do another one. Like, (laughs) and if you quit doing them, that's fine too. It's like not really a big deal to start something and stop it. Like it's okay. So yeah, that's what I would say to (laughs) to get started, just focus on interviewing. Yep. It's the what about Bob baby steps mentality. That's what I love. What about Bob? We used to, I watched it every Christmas for many years uh, with my family. Such a good movie. Recently (laughs) we watched, rewatched it and it it holds up for sure. It looks like we have one more question uh, for right now. And that is from Mark. And it says, why do you think some brands are still reluctant to get into podcasting? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really fair. I think there's a couple of reasons brands are reluctant to get in podcasting. Um, I think one, there's a lot of garbage podcast out there. And I think that that kind of scares people. They say like, oh, no, I don't, you know, like I, it's just going to be like this other thing that's not great that I don't like. Right. So I think like there's one that's the case. But honestly, you've never been on YouTube in the low views area. There's a lot of terrible. It's like you've seen a ton of blogs that are like awful. Um, so it's like I, I understand where people are coming from, where there's an initial concern about like, OK, I see stuff I don't like. Should we really be involved in this? 
Um, I think people are a little bit worried about the production of it. I think that that's another thing. People are, are unclear about the production. I think when people are in that, um, they don't have experience, but they're like clear on the production is, is more problematic um, because they're usually not that clear on the production. And usually they're like way overstretching what they can reasonably do. Um, and I think that the other aspect of it is like people are mostly reluctant to do it when they're not listening to podcast. And I, I think one of the things that's really hard about social, like if you want to improve on social, like you have to let go that your opinions are the right ones necessarily. Like I remember there's this striking <laughs> stat I had heard once that was about, it was about like people who like poach animals, like animal poachers. And they asked animal poachers, like how, you know, horrible do you think other people think this is? And they're like, probably a few people, but mostly not. Right. Even though the general population really thinks like animal poaching is terrible, which it is. So the point for like social is that some people see stuff on social and they're like, I don't know why people like this. It's not good. What to who? Yeah. Everybody seems to be liking it. Everybody's really happy with it. Like people are going to put these arbitrary bars that they create of saying like, what's good is what I determine what is good. And it's like for social, you need to sort of get past that a little bit and be like, okay, what's good is generally what is probably doing well and what people like. And if people like it, they're engaging with it. So you have to sort of separate some of that out. And I think like, when people think about podcasting, they see like, oh, I don't like this podcast or I'm not a, that into podcast. So they don't want to do it. And then on the flip side, people who are really into podcast are like, absolutely. This is exactly what we should do. This is the only thing. And you're like, is it though? Like it might not be the right channel at this time. There might be other things you could do. So I think it's like, you got to separate out your belief of like, um, what I think or what I like versus what is the right thing to do and what is the right thing for your audience. But I think for anybody skeptical, a lot of people talk about um, what's changed, what's changed and how to take advantage of that change. Like that's the format. What's now everything's different. Here's how you take advantage of it. That's cool. I think the more interesting thing that they'll look at is like, what's not changing. And podcasting is what's not changing. Every year, there's more people listening to podcasts than there were before. Every year, the amount of podcasts that an individual listens to increases. Every year, all of a sudden, you have more people listening to a wider variety of shows while more shows get created. And then, like, additionally, like, if you ignore all of those, <laughs> you have all of those things, you have to think about, like, other really, really basic stuff, like, a lot of people have used cars that don't have Bluetooth. So like my phone doesn't connect to my car in like I have a Subaru Forester. It doesn't connect. I don't really listen to podcasts on the commute partially for that. As more cars come out and podcasts are a readily available option, they will be on there. You know what I mean? Like as like Spotify has put podcast front and center and basically uploaded you know, tons and tons and tons of more people to working on and listening to and consuming podcasts. 
right? And like one of the things that Spotify noticed in terms of a macro trend was that when people were listening to podcasts, they would then subsequently switch to listening music. Okay, great. So everywhere that you listen to music is a potential area where you would listen to podcasts. It just might not be as easy. So it's like, Everybody is doing this culturally, even without technolo- even without that much technological enablement. And it's like going up culturally. It's becoming a de facto spot. People are building celebrities around it. There's a lot more money flowing into it. It's like a low production medium. Sometimes, sometimes it's a high production medium. But I think it's important for people to focus on what's not changing. And what's not changing is like more people are listening to podcasts. And generally, more people like choice. And Mm -hmm. the same thing that is happening with Netflix, On Demand, Hulu, all those things is the exact same process of radio and podcasting. Whereas radio is something on demand you tune into and it's like a different live event. It's like you can you're going to probably be bringing more and more of those people in live radio listening hours over to on-demand content. So it's like, I think it's important for people who are reluctant to understand that like, this isn't new. And just because it's not new doesn't mean you haven't missed the boat on it. it there is no missing the boat. This is just kind of like a large change in how people are consuming content. That's that's such a great perspective. And um, that's so encouraging too, I'm sure to a lot of the brands that are listening to this and maybe haven't quite gotten there, but you know, maybe you're interested in jumping aboard and you know, who knows? So that's fantastic. Sam, thank you so much. This was fantastic. I love hearing you talk about this stuff. So I could probably sit on here for another 50 plus minutes <laughs> and talk to you about it. I'm sure others feel the same. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we're good on questions. And um, again, Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And if anybody uh, listening or watching has any questions, anything they want to talk about more with me, um, you can just find me on LinkedIn or email me at sam.balter at zoominfo.com. Excellent. And audience members, for more Casted use cases from our amazing customers, be sure to check out the Casted podcast at casted.us forward slash podcast. Thanks, everyone. That's our show. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Zoom Info and the insights Sam shared with us today, make sure to visit zoominfo.com and check out any of their podcasts like Pretty Big Deal or Talk Data to Me. To learn more about how Casted can help you, visit casted.us and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to get the latest on all things amplified marketing, B2B podcasting, and more.